Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. This morning on the third hour of today, it's Dad's Got This. Craig meets a talented father-daughter duo that's making kids and parents move while teaching them a thing or two. Then a military trailblazer making history in the cockpit and carrying on a high-flying family legacy. Plus, Al has some fun in the bun when he meets the family behind a hot dog dynasty and gets a lesson in the kitchen. And the batting cage that's a hit with kids teaching sports and science at the same time. That's all ahead today, Tuesday, December 27th, 2022. From Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza, this is the third hour of today. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the third hour of today. I'm Dylan, here with Chanel and Craig. Al is off. Yeah. Good morning. It's been a good week so far, right? Yeah. yeah. This is a good time of year. It is a good time I of year. So. A lot of holiday parties under yeah. our belt. So that raises the question, when uh-huh. it comes to holiday parties, actually, okay. this is in the Huffington Post. Okay. Um, what would you say are some of the things that annoy you about your party guests? Oh, God, I could, I, we could spend 20 minutes on this. We could spend 20 minutes. What would you say? You guys host stuff. It, it's it, like when one person dominates uh, your time and you've got like, uh, let's say you have like, you've got, you're having a party, it's 50 people. And, and they are hijacking all your. And you're, you're like so 15 do you minutes. Stay, do you engage or do you get away? I walk off after a while. But you kind of nicely walk away. Well, it depends on the person. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, but that's that's rude, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, How about is. you? Um, you, know, you go to a lot of holiday parties. I do go to a lot of holiday parties. Yeah. So what kind of guest are you? Uh, I think I'm great because don't worry, I'm not showing up early. <laughs> that's true. I do you don't have to worry about that. People hate it early. when you show up early and they're not yes, ready and, and then not, you got to, they have to try to entertain you while they're still trying to set stuff out. Yes. So I don't do that. And I try not to say too late because I know I'm going to leave early. Hmm. So true. it's like, okay, that's so you it's show a Goldilocks version. And you leave early. Exactly. Yeah. I think the ultimate guest is someone who, after you eat, you know, chat for a little bit, they just clean up. Like, you don't have to clean oh, up everything, yes. but maybe like this plate person next yes. to you, just a couple of dishes, yes. put them in, rinse them off, put them in the dishwasher. Like, just I help agree. the process. A hundred percent. And for my friends who know me and they know that I don't love being in the kitchen, it's just yeah. not my happy place. <laughs> so then after it's over, like, if you're like, hey, and then before you know it, I look up and everybody's just kind of helping out. And then we can yes. go back to doing And then we what can we go back doing. and enjoy yeah. just sitting mm-hmm. and conversing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like so speaking of food, there's actually, um, for your metabolism, a good time to eat okay. and a bad time to eat. Tell me. Okay, so do it. So it's funny because this I do this naturally. I tend to eat when it's time to eat, not when I'm hungry. Like five o'clock is dinner time. Yeah, twelve o'clock is lunchtime. And if I don't eat by twelve, and it's now say two o'clock, I will not eat because that's not lunchtime. Whereas I am like, I'm not hungry, but it's yummy and chewy and gooey and (laughs) stuff. Dylan's like, oh no no, it's not four o'clock. All bets are off during the Today Show though, because whatever there's food. I mean, I've got a slice of pizza just there. But wait, warm tea, right? Yes. does the study say that what you're doing is right? Yes. Sure. So you should eat breakfast sometime before 8.30. Yep. Easy. Lunchtime's around noon. 
oh. and dinner should be around six. This is for optimal. This is just you, if you don't eat around these times or skipping meals or, you know, not it's eating not at the, eating too late. It's just not great for your blood sugar content. It's also just not great for your metabolic Metab- health. Metabolism. Uh, so right. yeah, what about you? Are you snacking though? No, the show, the schedule kind of throws you off. Yeah. Especially yeah. If, you have a, if I have a shoot after the show, sometimes I'll, mm-hmm. I'll miss lunch. And if I skip lunch and then sometimes for dinner, you know, depending on what the kids have that evening, mm-hmm. dinner's not until 6.30, so by the time dinner rolls around, dinner's late. I'm famished. Well, if, if on two nights it's at 6.30 because Del has <laughs> basketball. Oh, yes, he does keep a schedule. Yeah, the fact that you just said 6.30. I mean, well, what time's your dinner time? <laughs> when they're like, we don't want cereal again. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, she's not. I'm kidding. No, she's not. No, I'm kidding. No, the challenge for us, and there are people who are, who are on my boat where your kids play sports. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. With, three, with three kids who have all these activities, and your it's, kids very, it's very rare that we're all together at the same time. Mm-hmm. after school before 8 p.m. and yeah. it's too late to eat. So I'm just starting to get into that this year with Calvin. It's like, oh, but yeah. you can't have practice at five because dinner's at five. Yeah, so. nope. It all goes yeah. out the door. So uh, we just make it work. This next story I thought was interesting. Do you guys use emojis when you chat? Or- I've oh. tried to reel it in. I do a lot of winking and blushing. I'm a grown man. <laughs> I still do like the colon close parentheses for like <laughs> Me too. The, all my millennial, the, like the producers and stuff are like Chanel. People Tuff. still, you, they're still using emojis? Well, they use them in a different way than you okay. Gen Zers. So take a look at this emoji. Okay. Um, and if somebody sent you this, Okay. What would you think that means? That they don't feel good. That they have a cold. Yeah, this, it's the sneezing emoji, yeah. right? Yeah. What does it mean? Well, apparently, for the new generation, I guess they're Gen Z. Is that who? Mm. I, I guess that's who they are now. Um, that is actually meant to be like, that's sick or that's cool. Oh, really? Yeah. So, oh, we are so old. Oh, like, oh, that's so sick. Uncool. Yeah. Which that's I didn't funny. even think they use like the that's sick phrase. Oh, I know, right? right? So when you, so if you get this, I guess it depends on who you get it from. Yes. That's, or who you're sending it so to. So Chanel sent this to me. It would be like, oh, I'm sick. I'm actually yeah. really but sick. But if like my young cousin sent it to me, exactly. she, she'd be like, you're sick. That's funny. Weird though. That is, is there like another a, one like that? I don't that? need a course. No, my son yesterday like sent me a text, MHM, or it. MHM. Well, what does that mean? Apparently it means mom, I'm home. <laughs> mom, I'm home? Is it H-M? So what's funny is I had no idea. I'm like, is he okay? What does this mean? Guys, yeah. he's not responding. Maybe he's just trying to send you an emergency Right. Signal. I'm like, anybody, anybody? And another mom's like, oh, it means mom, I'm home. I'm like, what? Huh. M and then H-M is home. Why can't they, Why can't the boy just write I home? I don't know. <laughs> just write home. H-O-M-E. No, I don't like when he does nah. I'm like, don't what's nah. Don't nah me. Oh, like nah. N-A-H. Yeah. I said something. I was like, and he was like, nah. I'm like, mm. <laughs> Then you called him. Like, hey, boy. <laughs> I'm your mother. This phone you're texting on, I paid for that phone. I'm just kidding. My, nah. my mom will sometimes write NP. I think just to be oh, like, quick, no problem. No problem. But I'm always like, well, just I want a little more reaction. <laughs> Let's flip it. <laughs> you, you seem like you might be a little little needy on the texting. <laughs> I guess I am. Because yeah. I are. joke with Al about that, too. Oh, that's like, right. I want exclamation points. I want periods. I want a lot of I want a lot of thoughts. Dylan and Al had I a whole two therapy spaces session after a period. feels like his texts are short. And Dylan wants more affirmation. But I think that's also... People do tend to, like my mom. Well, I think it's also probably reflective of how men and women communicate as well. That's fair. That's true. Because Chanel's are long. Yeah, mine are long. Big shocker there. Uh, (laughs) When we come back, one of my favorite series, Dad's Got This. And this time around, I met a very talented father-daughter duo. Together, they have created a little corner of YouTube that has become a huge hit. And there's a special reason that they're doing it. Then a little bit later, a pilot breaking barriers and making history at the same time. How she showed she had no fear 
very early on. Third hour of today, right back after this. <laughs> the legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's match engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, we are back with Dad's Got This, and I recently caught up with a dad and daughter duo who've got both kids and parents dancing while learning. They created this YouTube phenomenon with a simple mission behind their music. They're their children's songs taking the internet by storm, revolutionizing how we think about nursery rhymes. All thanks to this father-daughter duo who are putting representation front and center on YouTube with Gracie's Corner. How did all of this get started? For me, it started really out of a result of the pandemic. I saw um, a lot of the content that my kids were watching. One of the things that stood out to me was like, man, there's very few to almost no, no children that look like my daughter that are portrayed on the, on the screen. Two years ago, music was the furthest thing from Javoris Hollingsworth's mind, teaching chemistry at the University of St. Thomas in Houston. I'm a musician, turned scientist, now turned back musician. I grew up in the church um, and learned to play the drums and the keyboard. Javoris has since hung up his lab coat to work on the YouTube channel full time with his daughter, Gracie. It was a tough decision because I recognized the impact that I can have in the classroom. But then I also recognized the impact that this channel is having on a global scale. His goal is to empower kids to embrace who they are while learning basic skills. Javoris leans on his wife Arlene's psychology background to make sure the messages are clear. And Gracie is the face and voice of the channel through her cartoon character. From their DIY home studio and with the help of a graphic artist, the two have put a modern spin to those nursery rhymes we all know so well and are composing original songs as well. One of the things I love about the videos is, is you, you use one of my favorite genres, hip-hop, to connect yeah. with, with kids. There's a lot of kids' songs out there, but many of them you almost want to pull your hair out. You're right. Just right. You're right. <laughs> my mindset was like, okay, how can we make this fun? Make it something that a parent wouldn't mind riding in a car listening to. They even tackle hard subjects like race with songs celebrating Juneteenth and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The response has been undeniable. Gracie's Corner has racked up more than 200 million views on YouTube. The cool thing to see, too, is that uh, not only have the kids been able to enjoy it, but 
also parents. For Gracie, who's now 10, the quality time with her dad is the reward. Does he ever have an idea for a song or, or video and you say, Dad, no, that, that's, not, that's not Gracie? Well, mostly all the time, but um, <laughs> kind of like I'm the boss of him. A lot of people are brushing their teeth because of you. Hopefully they're not doing it too much. <laughs> for this former professor, continuing to educate and empower kids is the ultimate teaching moment. And y'all, we have an exciting update. Okay. Gracie's Corner has now reached 1 million oh YouTube wow. followers. I'm not surprised. It's so catchy. It's, wow. And they, and they celebrated the accomplishment with a performance at the Houston Museum of Natural Sciences oh. last month. And Javoris and his wife, Arlene, were honored with the Changemaker Award wow. at the inaugural Afrotech Future Awards. Wow. It honors individuals and companies across the tech industry who are paving the way. That is awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Congrats. All right, coming up next in our series, The Upside, I'll share one family's remarkable story of finding hope and helping others after a diagnosis that changed the course of their lives. And then later, meet the young CEO in charge of a different kind of rideshare company, helping people and the planet. We'll be back in just 60 seconds. We are back now with the story of one family's inspiring fight to save their son's life. Chanel, you've actually got this one for us. This is a good one. I'll remember this for the rest of my life. Dr. Emil Kakis is a pioneer in the treatment of rare diseases. Over 30 years ago, he met a young patient diagnosed with a fatal genetic disorder. But with the power of hope and incredible science, he made sure little Ryan defied the odds. Ryan was three and a half and was running around playing baseball and learning to ride a bicycle. He was happy and healthy to us. Mark and Jean Dant had so many dreams for their son, Ryan. But in 1991, a routine checkup led to genetic testing that followed with some heartbreaking news. Talk to me about how life changed after that diagnosis. We were told that Ryan would probably pass away by the time he was 10 or 12. So for a year, we did nothing but literally lay on the floor next to Ryan's bed at night and listen to him sleep. Ryan was diagnosed with mucopolysaccharidosis type 1, or MPS1. By U.S. estimates, today, less than 5,000 people have it. Ryan was missing a digestive enzyme used to break down large sugars. Results are toxic, and there is no known cure. How did the symptoms progress? Ryan's stomach became very large. His liver and spleen is growing to almost two and a half size normal. His hands started to stiffen up. He would lose balance often, would have really debilitating headaches. Things were changing physically and mentally for Ryan, too, because he began to realize that perhaps he wasn't like the other kids who could run and play. Then, as I understand it, something and you clicked and you just wanted to make it better. Yes. I read a book in the library on how to start a nonprofit. A bake sale raising $342 kicked off a foundation in their son's name, Golf tournaments, galas, thousands in donations to benefit MPS1 followed. But Ryan's symptoms worsened. When something is that rare, it's hard to get enough research dollars to do the work. In 1995, the dance flew from Texas to meet Dr. Emil Kakis, then a physician scientist studying MPS1 and enzyme replacement therapy at UCLA Laboratory. We were running out of money and meeting Ryan and Mark and Gene gave me an inspiration as to what this was really about. It's not a science project, it's a human project. When did you know 
that things are going to be okay. When we met Dr. Kakis in his lab. The Ryan Foundation stepped in to keep the work afloat. And when a biotech company provided funding back in 1997, it drove the project forward, allowing Dr. Kakis to pick up his clinical trials. Ryan became one of 10 child participants. February 13th, 1998, Dr. Kakis, Gene and I pushed the button and changed Ryan's life forever. Fast forward to 2003, and the FDA approved the drug used in trials, later called Adurazyme, for treatment of most individuals with MPS-1. Getting an FDA-approved therapy is incredibly challenging, especially in a rare disease where there's no experience and no method or approach to treating the disease. But we had great results in the first 10 patients, and it was actually after only a few weeks we could see their livers and spleens were shrinking, and they started feeling better. And remember that prediction Ryan's parents were given when he was a toddler? Well, Ryan beat it. Ryan, how old are you now? I'm 34 years old. I don't like saying it. Girl, are you kidding me? (laughs) You should scream that out. How do you feel? I feel good. There are still some medical challenges, but I'm living life to the fullest. I don't want to have this disease hold me back from accomplishing anything. Ryan, now a newlywed, continues taking infusions once a week for four hours. Have you had a chance to give Dr. Kakis a hug? Without Dr. Kakis, I wouldn't be alive. I wouldn't have been able to get my driver's license, graduate high school, go to college, graduate college, get a job in the real world. Dr. Kakis, you're clearly family at this point. We are. I've been there for all of Ryan's big events. I can't imagine doing anything more in the future than just saving more Ryans out there. I mean, thanks to science and someone who doesn't give up, a whole family who didn't give up, a community. And although there is still no cure for MPS-1, Ryan is doing well. And he actually just got a new job as director of patient advocacy for Grace Science, which is a foundation that researches rare diseases. So you can find out more about Ryan's health journey um, and Dr. Kakis' book. It's called Saving Ryan, Mm. which was also just released as an audio book. Such a great story. And to get the whole story. Yes. The the journey. Yes, exactly. All right. Coming up next, a fearless military trailblazer with serious grit, how she's flying high and carrying on an impressive family legacy. Then later we're sampling a doggone good meal and you may never eat your hot dogs the same way again after we show you the history and local flavor of the Coney dog. We'll be right back. This morning, we're meeting a military trailblazer with grit who became the first female commander of an elite Air Force squadron. That's right. Major Kristen Wolf performs in air shows, proving that the sky's the limit as she carries on quite the impressive family legacy. But as NBC's Ann Thompson recently showed us, she's also using her skills to get more people into the cockpit. This is a real-life version of Top Gun, but here the lead is a woman. 33-year-old Major Kristen Wolf, the first female commander of the F-35A Lightning Demonstration Team. The airplane can't tell who's in there flying it. Uh, it flies the exact same for me as it does for uh, a short person, a tall person, any type of minority. So that's pretty important. And really, people just respect if you can do your job. Uh, and you see that a lot in the military, which is good. Her breathtaking skills. Wowing the crowds in an 18-minute routine. 
at Joint Base Andrews and at air shows across the nation. Sometimes the high-speed pass looks really cool with all the vapor cones coming off the airplane, um, but really probably the inverted pass, because being 300 feet off the ground upside down is just really not natural for a fighter pilot. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it's natural for anybody. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> What's the thrill of flying upside down 300 feet above the ground? Man, uh, I mean, you're going 400 miles an hour, you're looking at the ground, you can look out the side of the can uh, canopy, see the crowd looking at you. Uh, it's just a, a weird feeling. You know, you're hanging in the straps too because you're pulling negative Gs. You don't get to do that normally. An Air Force brat, Wolf grew up loving thrill rides, riding roller coasters with her mom. I did. Uh, the best is when there's no line, you can stay in the front seat for as long as you want. But it was while majoring in chemical engineering at Alabama that the adrenaline junkie's future took an unexpected turn. So what did your parents think when you came home and said, I think I want to fly? <laughs> Uh, I think my dad inside was just giggling like a school kid, um, so he was pretty excited. And he's kind of shaped my, my career path as well, just giving me advice, little bumps and prods along the way that I needed. Do you have a hero pilot? Um, I mean, I'd probably say my dad. I followed him around, I was born on Air Force Base. He was a fighter pilot as well, so uh, just seeing the way that he lived his military career, uh, to follow in his footsteps and talk to him about being a fighter pilot is pretty unique and pretty special. Her call sign, Bayo as in the epic poem, Beowulf, now pulling nine Gs in the sky, three times what she felt on a roller coaster loop. Wolf's mission is to generate excitement about military aviation and inspire a new generation of pilots. You see the adults say like, hey, you can do that one day, or them tug on their, their parents' uh, pants and be like, mom, that's a girl getting out of the airplane. That girl leads a team of 15, mostly men, flying not just at air shows, but major events. How does the air show compare to doing the flyover at the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, of course. Um, but, you know, that's a snapshot in time. This is kind of full-time job. Going to change people's lives, hopefully. And the Air Force. Today, women account for just 4% of its fighter pilots. Wolf wants younger women to see a limitless future. One of the things for women who have achieved, and especially the first generation of women in any position, there is a responsibility to reach your hand back. How are you reaching your hand back? Um, in this job, it's easy for me um, because I can you know, get out of the airplane, walk down this crowd line, talk to little kids, sign autographs, and you know, look them in the eye and say, you can do this uh, 20 years from now, 10 years from now. And I get to see that reward in front of me versus a lot of other pilots. And to hear someone say, I'm going to do your job one day, it's like I, I changed at least one person's life. So that's pretty special. That was Ann Thompson bringing us that really cool story. Major Wolf performed in 24 air shows this past season, and she's now busy training for next year. Of course she is. Uh -huh. uh, now to the story of another female trailblazer, this time in the startup world. Her name is Raven Hernandez. She's a young Latina CEO, and she founded the first all-electric rideshare company in the United States. NBC's Morgan Radford recently went for a ride with her to find out what advice she has for the next generation hoping to enter the tech world. 27-year-old Raven Hernandez has always been driven. So I heard these things go pretty fast. They do. Now, she's in the driver's seat. It's getting back a little bit of charge. As the founder and CEO of an all-electric rideshare company called Earthrides. When was your first time in an electric vehicle ever, period? 
ever that I drove was 2018. Just four years ago. Just four years ago, and now we are showing EVs and highlighting them all over the country. In 2020, Raven took her passion into overdrive. Hi, I'm Raven Hernandez, founder and CEO of Earthrise. And founded the first rideshare company in the U.S. to offer an all-electric fleet of vehicles. We don't market ourselves as just an eco-friendly company. For us, it's really important about the safety and the quality of the rides. The majority of our passengers, they're looking for something better. A lot of people who get started in this space, they have some connection to, to financing or venture mm. capital firms. Did you have any of that? I had hustle. Uh, <laughs> my mother and my grandmother were both single mothers. They uh, taught themselves English. You know, they, they really hustled for everything they had. And I think that grit allows me to be where I'm at today. But you had to sort of open your own doors to get there, it sounds like. It's definitely opening a lot of doors. I mean, it's knocking, right? It's knocking on as many doors as possible and seeing which ones are going to open. And not every room is meant for you. A journey she started as the child of immigrants growing up in Nashville, Tennessee. My family's from Panama uh, in a town called Santiago. You know, it's, it's amazing and it's beautiful just to see how far we've come along in three generations. But like all journeys, this one had its turns. I had no idea this was in my future. I'm a licensed attorney, but along the way, I saw this opportunity to bring clean technology to communities that don't normally see it. Where did you find the drive? I mean, when I think about a hard day at work, I, I know that I, I have it way easier than my mother or my abuela ever did. I mean, my grandmother left her jungle and where she lived at 10 years old to go find work and support her family. And so when I think about getting to be in spaces like this with you, I mean, it's, it's humbling and it, it just makes me uh, fuel my own fire to keep going. A fire that's helped the company expand from its home base in Nashville to three cities, serving more than 300,000 passengers to date. An accomplishment that's even more remarkable given the state of the industry, where women currently make up less than 30% of the clean energy workforce and Latino founders accounted for just over 2% of all venture capital funding last year. A moment ago, you described having to knock on doors and that sometimes the rooms weren't always intended for you. When you got to those rooms, did you see other Latinas or Latinos? Not often. And so getting to be the first Latina in the room as an entrepreneur showing up in this space on behalf of my family and everyone else in the community, it's quite a load. And I always think about that and understand that I'm not the last, right? I might be the first, but I'm definitely not the last bringing others on a journey that's just beginning. Focus on what makes you uniquely you. Find strength in what makes you different and then run into that room and knock that door down. Raven uh, now has a, a podcast. She's not just podcast. It's called Down to Earth, okay. where she talks to other entrepreneurs cool. as well. Her company was also honored by the Department of Environment and Conservation in her home state of Tennessee for their hard work in creating sustainable transportation in 2020. I mean, these kids, I guess she's not a kid anymore, no. but they're trailblazers. Yeah. Yeah. All right, coming up, a family that's making hot dog history, serving a Motor City staple for more than a century. Al found out the secret to their success in the Coney Kitchen. And then we'll take you inside this high-tech batting lab, helping kids improve their swing and their math skills. We'll be right back. Back now with a story from our series Family Style with Al Roker. And this one, well, this one is all about a summer staple. Hot dogs. So depending on where you live, of course, hot dogs look very different. And in Detroit, they pile on the chili and the onions. 
and they call them conies. I'm hungry. Al recently <laughs> visited a Detroit staple called American Coney Island, where they've been serving up dogs for more than a century. Coney Island is like the heartbeat of Detroit. And there's this special bond and grit that I feel that Coney's have with uh, the home of Detroit. I can remember coming with my grandmother at five years old. That's 45 years ago. Welcome to Detroit. What do you say we travel back in time to the earliest days of the Coney? Founded by a Greek immigrant, this restaurant story is synonymous with the legendary hot dog of this city. What do you say we go meet the family? One to go plain, one fry. Grace Kiros is the third generation owner of American Coney Island. People are very passionate about their Coney Island hot dog. Yes, they are. Why? because it holds a nostalgia and a tradition to them. We see daily generations of people coming in here. Remember grandpa bringing them, my mom brought me. It, it's part of their growing up. Grace taking over the restaurant 30 years ago, the granddaughter of founder Constantine Kiros, AKA Gust. Gust came to Detroit in the early 1900s, looking for work in the auto industry. When that didn't happen, he started a push cart which grew into an empire. Your, your grandfather immigrates here from, from, from Greece. Greece. Why hot dogs? It was something that he had seen when he landed at Ellis Island in New York. He saw, you know, the amusement park. Greek immigrants passing through New York, borrowing the Coney Island name for their new innovation. You know, we're Greek, right? We know food. So grandpa remembered the hot dogs, made a Greek chili sauce. When you hear about a Coney Island hot dog, you think yes. about Nathan's in New York City. But here's the difference. I'm going to stop you. Okay. A Coney Island in New York is an amusement park right. that sells hot dogs. In Detroit, a Coney Island is the hot dog with the chili, mustard, onions on it. That's the difference. Chili sauce is where chefs innovate. And there are as many recipes as there are Coney spots. And many of these Detroit diners can trace that lineage right back to American. What is it like being really part of the fabric of, of an iconic city like Detroit? It's surreal. I mean, I think back to my grandfather and my dad and the things they saw here from, from riots to Tigers winning the World Series when they were good. Such a deep history and, and proud. Mm -hmm. I love this city. It was time for me to prep the perfect Coney. This is the proprietary hot dog. If you notice the natural casing, yes, it's a 90% beef, 10% pork with a lambskin casing. That's that, like three meats in one. You exactly. Got, got pork, beef, and a and That's lamb. That's right. Get a plate. I need one up, which means one. I need one for a customer. One for Everything a customer. Everything on it. Chili, mustard, onions. Get the split. Boom. Yeah. You want that chili? Chintz out on get that a little, chili. Don't chintz on the chili. Oh, that really it does have a creamy See, consistency. See, it's really creamy, right? Exactly. Mustard. There you go. Ooh, that's heavy mustard. Did they order heavy mustard? Um, no, they didn't. <laughs> I, I'm making this for myself. <laughs> exactly. There you go. All right. One up. Ready. They had a nice shot. Yeah. Awesome. Woo! Good job, Al. Hey, now. It's magic in your mouth. 
So this is kind of cool. That iconic chili recipe used for their Coney Island or their Coney dog. It was passed down from Grace's grandfather. Oh. And for those of you wondering, sorry, but they're keeping it a secret. <laughs> As they should. Yes. As just they should. Something Good. should be. Exactly. Yes, you just got to go buy it. There you go. Even better. All right. Turning from food to fun now. We all remember Silly Putty from when we were kids, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Well, one software engineer wanted to take it to a whole new level. In our Behind the Brand series, Jacob Sobrov recently showed us how Crazy Aaron's Thinking Putty is reshaping the way we play. Shape it, stretch it, even watch it change colors. This is Crazy Aaron's Thinking Putty, considered by many pine-sized experts and some slightly older ones to be the gold standard in putty. I have a can of your thinking putty uh, in my hand. This is liquid glass thinking putty. Oh. I'm taking out. Okay, so this doesn't offend you that I'm playing with it while we talk? No, that's what thinking putty is for. We're ever gonna get to any questions in this interview. I'm just gonna be playing with the putty the whole time. Just be playing that look like this. That's what we do all day. Crazy Aaron's Thinking Putty is the creation of Aaron Muterick, a former software engineer with a lifelong fascination for putty. But what he enjoyed in his youth left much to be desired, and he wanted to see if he could make it better. I started staying up at night, researching chemistry, reading all the old patents from the 1950s, and I realized there were ways to make it more beautiful, feel better, last longer, on and on and on, and I just fell down the rabbit hole. Before long, Muterick was spending more time on his putty than he was at his actual job, and he was forced to make a choice. My boss gave me uh, an ultimatum of sorts. He said, it's, it's us or the putty. And I thought about it for about three seconds, and I said, I guess it's the putty. Once fully focused on putty, he spent years perfecting the formula, created his first hit product, a hyper-colored thinking putty called Amethyst Blush. What he's created since, it's hard to define. It's not quite slime or Play-Doh, and it doesn't create a mess by sticking on your hands or even in your hair. Here's a demo. In my hands, in my hair, no problem. Beyond just being a toy, this putty provides kids with a hands-on opportunity to let their imaginations run wild. One thing that I did notice, though, is front and back, it doesn't really come with instructions. Is that on purpose? It is on purpose. I, I love undirected play. Touch it, you squeeze it, you stretch it. There's also that magic moment of, like, aha, discovery, surprise, when you realize that, you know, it snaps in half, right? Right, Whoa. there you go, kapow! Today, almost 25 years later, Crazy Aaron's entire operation is based in Norristown, Pennsylvania. He's expanded from the original handful of products to over 300 different Thinking Putty varieties. The company also employs around 500 special needs individuals, teaching them skills they can apply to the wider workforce, a committed social mission that helps define a beloved product. As they say in our business, breaking news, I am peeling to reveal the mystery Uh putty, and it is... Wait for it. Pure Platinum. Pure Platinum. One of the Precious Metals collection. This is very cool. It's very shiny. I'm proud of it. If you'd be willing to make a deal, next time I come to Pennsylvania, I might want to bring my kids to the factory. Is that cool? Anytime. Amazing. Aaron actually says the putty is almost as popular with adults as it is with kids, especially if you have trouble focusing or tend to fidget a lot. And it could also make for a great gift. The company, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary, by the way, says they have new products coming just in time for this holiday season. My kids love it. 
my daughter, she, when she's reading or she's yeah. working, somehow, yeah. she just, you know, pulls it and plays with it. I can totally, because I fidget with my exactly. fingers. Yeah. I pick my nail. Like, yeah. I, I need something. Yeah. It be- and it's the good one. It's not like the slime that gets everywhere. Yeah. Like, right. it doesn't stick all over the place. Yes. Little tip there. All right. <laughs> coming up next in our series, The Upside, a home run idea to get kids interested in STEM. How one group is turning a batting cage into a science lab. Be right back. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. We are back now with another story in our series, The Upside. So there's a science lab in North Carolina where STEM and sports are in full swing. Our senior national correspondent, Carrie Sanders, recently showed us how one batting cage is teaching much more than just baseball. I've been to multiple batting cages just to kind of help my swing, but not one that tells me how. 12-year-old Avery Smades and 11-year-old Louis Rivero excitedly stepped to the plate. But this is about more than just swinging a bat. I have absolutely no baseball background. I've never played in any of organized baseball, but I understand that players seem to look and do certain things. Here in the batting lab, principal data scientist Jared Dean and his team at SAS are quietly hoping to get kids to a different base to get young minds interested in data. The point of the SAS batting lab is to help kids love data as much as they love baseball and softball. SAS is targeting kids between ages 10 to 14. It's hoped merging sport with data literacy leads to a new understanding of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. It gives us like diagrams and charts and graphs to show us what part of our swing has the most room for improvement. As we saw, it's working. Yeah, I would say that they are tricking me to do some math a little bit. Batting cage has helped me a lot because I had this game and I hit a double and I didn't even try. I probably could have gone over the fence if I actually tried. I think this cage has definitely helped me improve on the softball field, not only like with my timing and hitting the ball, but also with my confidence. To create the cage, SAS worked with coaches and players from North Carolina State University's baseball and softball teams. What makes a good swing and what we're looking for is athleticism. Athleticism, balance, coordination, specifically to a baseball swing is is balance and rhythm and timing. After analyzing thousands of players' swings, SAS's data teams discovered at bat, there's one key metric of success, exit velocity. In kids speak, how hard the ball is hit. Every player in the program has improved their maximum velocity. Most are in that 10 to 15% improvement range over the first six sessions. Equipped with cameras and thousands of sensors, the batter's box monitors how a person's weight moves during a swing and detects when the ball is hit. It's about 50,000 data points in all per swing. And then we send that off 
and we compare it to those hundreds or thousands of swings that we had collected prior, and we look for deviations. The goal? A better swing, but also the kids learn how analytical skills and data can be applied to sports and beyond. We don't need students to grow up to be data scientists. We need them to be data believers, people who believe that if they're going to strategically solve a problem, that data is a component of that. The folks at SAS say the batting lab is already a home run. The proof? Young Avery, who now sees how STEM fits into just about everything, even her dreams of being a veterinarian. Data kind of ties into just doing everything right as a vet. But for now, she'll keep her eye on the ball and swing for the fences. Folks, we've got an update since our story first aired. The program says every child became much more confident yeah. in their understanding of data after the program. And that's not the only skill they learned. That's right. One of the kiddos with the best name, I have to say, Dylan, <laughs> also hit his first home run this past summer. Cool. He attributes the success to his experience with the batting lab. Great what idea. a great I idea. Love that. Yeah. yeah, we'll be right back. Well, that's going to do it for us this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Coming up tomorrow on the third hour, Finding Calm. I'll take you to a sound bath for a new way to relax and unwind. Looking forward to that. Fourth hour with Hoda and Jenna up next. Have a great day. Have a good day. Bye-bye. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.